Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 3. Hello, America. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, 877-973-7425. It always happens. I tell listeners I don't have time to take your call. Be patient. I'll get to you when we come back, and then the caller you want to take hangs up. But uh, we had a caller, John, who wanted to call and, and say that school vouchers are, in fact, racist or were racist. In fact, um, during commercial break, uh, I was digging around, and there are were examples of states. Virginia actually was at the forefront of this in the 1960s and 70s during school desegregation where they would shut down public school systems and give the parents the money, the taxpayer money, to send their kids to private schools Uh, but they would restrict it to certain schools that supposedly met state standards, all of which excluded black kids. So it was a form of a voucher program. The problem here is the extrapolation that because that was all R, because one was all R, which is is a logical fallacy uh, to begin with. The other here is, again, and and I I don't want to spend an entire hour on on school choice and school vouchers. I just think it's an issue we got to seriously... uh, think about. But the big issue here is if we can help a kid get out of a failing school and get a better education, should we not help that kid? I mean, we talk about these all the time. Should we, I mean, you talk about, uh, shouldn't we better that one person get off than an innocent man be executed? That That's, that's something the left says. Better, better all of society be imposed in some way, be burdened in some way than one person be imposed in another? Shouldn't we, as a society, want to help that one kid who could get the better education? Shouldn't we help them? And in fact, uh, what we see is in these voucher programs around the country, uh, kids whose parents are engaged and involved but can't afford private school are able to get their children into that private school where they get a better education, including into religious schools. We just let the parents uh, take the money and say, you go educate your kid. We're going to audit you to make sure you're not like buying candy and keeping your kid home. I I personally think that's what we should do. I personally think it makes sense for us to help those families. Now, to move on to other more important things. Uh, We'll get to the roadmap on 2024, but uh, these, I got emails on these and I want to talk about them. There is a report in the New York Times. It showed up over the weekend. Alone and exploited migrant children work brutal jobs across the United States. Uh, This is actually some uh, detailed reporting. It's gone on across the media, and essentially a lot of illegal immigrant children have come into the United States and are getting jobs that actually run afoul of labor laws in the United States. Let me just read you the open here. It was almost midnight in Grand Rapids, Michigan, but inside the factory, everything was bright. A conveyor belt carried bags of Cheerios past a cluster of young workers. One was 15-year-old Carolina Yock, who came to the United States on her own last year to live with a relative she had never met. About every 10 seconds, she stuffed a sealed plastic bag of cereal into a passing yellow carton. 
It could be dangerous work with fast-moving pulleys and gears that have torn off fingers and ripped open a woman's scalp. The factory was full of underage workers like Carolina who had crossed the southern border by themselves and were now spending late hours bent over hazardous machinery in violation of child labor laws. At nearby plants, other children were tending giant ovens to make chewy and Nature Valley granola bars and packing bags of Lucky Charms and Cheetos, all of them working for the processing giant Hearthside Food Solutions, which would ship the products around the country. Sometimes I get tired and feel sick, Carolina said after a shift in November. Her stomach often hurt, and she was unsure if it was because of the lack of sleep, the stress from the incessant roar of the machines, or the worries she had for herself and her family in Guatemala. But I'm getting used to it, she said. These workers are part of a new economy of exploitation. Migrant children who have been coming into the United States without their parents in record numbers are ending up in some of the most punishing jobs in the country, a New York Times investigation found. The shadow workforce extends across industries in every state, flouting child labor laws that have been in place for nearly a century. 12-year-old roofers in Florida and Tennessee, underage slaughterhouse workers in Delaware, Mississippi, and North Carolina, children sawing planks of wood on overnight shifts in South Dakota. Largely from Central America, the children have been driven by economic desperation that worsened by the pandemic. This labor force has slowly grown for almost a decade. It was very common in the 19th century in the United States, in the early part of the 20th century, to send children into terrible work conditions. And we as a nation decided for the better that this was not a good thing. We should not have our children working low wages in dangerous jobs. Now, I'm going to say something some people are going to get mad about. And I just need you to listen to the whole and the context. These illegal immigrant children came across our southern border by themselves traveling through Mexico with dangerous drug cartel coyotes helping them, found their way into the United States, were embraced by relatives, and I use air quotes, we don't know whether they actually are or not, they claim to be, and they got put into dangerous jobs in this country. Here's the reality. The dangerous job that they are working is still less dangerous than the situation they were in. So should we send them back to be killed by a gang in Guatemala, sexually trafficked by the drug cartels of Mexico? Should, should we send them back? I'm not defending the work they're doing. I just would like to point out for perspective, they're still safer working in the factory in, in wherever they are in the United States than where they were. But they still shouldn't be here, and we should not be rewarding companies in this country hiring illegal aliens to do jobs. I just want to keep some perspective on all fronts here. 
part of the problem here is that Americans are not working and this situation comes about because our betters in Washington, D.C. decided that they would start paying people not to work during COVID. And a lot of people dropped out of the workforce. We don't talk enough about the people who dropped out of the workforce, but here is some data for you. Uh, Layoffs in this country remain well below their pandemic level. Many employers are eager to hang on to workers. During the, this is also New York Times, during the height of the pandemic, hungry and housebound customers clamored for home run in pizzas, frozen thin crust pies. The company did everything to oblige. It kept its machines chugging during lunch breaks and brought on temporary workers to ensure it could produce pizzas at a suddenly breakneck pace. More recently, demand has eased and home run in pizza based in suburban Chicago has reversed some of those measures but it does not plan to lay off any full-time manufacturing employees, even if that means having a few more workers than it needs during its second shift. Despite a year of aggressive interest rate increases by the Federal Reserve aimed at taming inflation and signs the red-hot labor market is cooling off, most companies have not taken the step of cutting jobs. Outside of a few high-profile companies in the tech sector, layoffs in the economy as a whole remain remarkably even historically, rare. There were fewer layoffs in December than in any month during the two decades before the pandemic. There aren't enough Americans to do the jobs. There are a lot of Americans who died or retired, and there are a lot of men who decided to get out of the workforce. We haven't figured out ways to get them back into the workforce. Some of them are working odd jobs, not listing themselves as working and not reporting the income, and the IRS might catch them eventually. But we got a real economic weakness here. These companies are hiring these illegal alien children to do these jobs in part because they don't have enough workers and they don't know where else to go. They should not be rewarded for hiring illegal aliens, and we should not want kids doing these jobs in these places where it is dangerous to be a kid. Yes, they're better off there than where they were. They're safer there than where they were. But we should not be rewarding a company hiring an illegal alien, and we should still recognize that that illegal alien is still a child, and we should do something as a society to take care of children and not put them in these dangerous jobs. We don't want eight-year-olds working in coal mines in this country because we find it immoral as a people to do that. But it's also a sign that our economy is not working well. And it paints a roadmap for the future. We've got a jobs crisis in this country with a lot of people who could be working, not working, a lot of people working who shouldn't be working. We need to clean up the job sector in this economy. We've got a power grid that is destabilized and destabilizing, and we got random wackos trying to blow it up. We got to deal with the power grid. We've got the education problem in this country where our schools have given up teaching kids. They want to indoctrinate the kids instead. We got to clean that up. We got government failing at the basics. Nobody trusts the government because the government is failing at the basic jobs of government. We got to clean that up. 
and the private sector is having to adapt to all of this. And here's the problem. A lot of the private sector is run by major corporations that have unmoored their capitalism from any sort of morality. I think it was Tucker Carlson who said there's no Nicene Creed in capitalism. There used to be a bunch of people who believed in the Nicene Creed, who were running the capitalist enterprises of America, and so worked in those businesses their view of morality. But those are few and far between these days. There are companies like Chick-fil-A that give their workers off on Sunday, pay higher than normal wages, and treat their workers well because they believe they have a faith obligation to do so. But a lot of companies aren't like that. And that one gets vilified for wearing its faith on its sleeve by a lot of people. We have a capitalism in this country unmoored from good ethics and morality. A lot of companies, they don't make products anymore. They make money. Money is what they make. And they don't adhere to any sort of morality. They want to keep costs as low as possible. They're fine hiring the illegal worker. Uh, Good luck catching them because the federal government's inspection staff and the state staff are underwhelmed anyway. All of these are problems that have festered with Democrats in charge in states run by Democrats. This is something the GOP should think about as as its candidates advance. This is something the GOP should think about as its candidates start thinking about their map to the road to the White House in 2024. Our economy is showing signs that it is unhealthy at a moral and economic level. Our power grid is struggling and our public schools are failing. And the Democrats don't have answers for these, let alone the crime issue. The Democrats don't have answers for them. It's Democratic policies that actually cause the problems. And into this, the Republicans plot their path to 2024. They should contemplate and address these issues with a positive message that values good morals and ethics and good business working hand in hand. So my kid has a queen size bed. We've got a king size bed. We got him bull and branch sheets and he's used them. He had like kid sheets and now he's old enough. He doesn't want the the action figure sheets anymore. Well, we got lost because I mean, the sheets look like our sheets, except they're queen size sheets and they got put in our closet and the kid was in despair. We got him bowl and branch sheets. They've gotten softer and softer. And he's like, where are my real sheets? He refused to sleep until we found the real sheets because they're that soft. They're that good. They're made with a 100% organic cotton thread. They get softer in every wash. You can stay cozy all winter long with a set of bowl and branch sheets. They really are that good. We have them on multiple beds in our house. My goodness. my Seriously, my kid, uh, he's finally like, my sheets are for kids. I'm, I'm grown up now. And... Uh, it's just a, a step of quality above what he had. And now he's like, can't sleep without these sheets. They're designed to feel incredible for all sleepers. They're made without toxins. They're free of pesticides, formaldehyde, other chemicals. They fit the deepest mattress too, which I love because we have a very thick mattress on our bed and it fits. It doesn't like bunch up and then snap off in the middle of the night when you roll over. You can get 15% off your forced order Bowling Branch sheets when you use promo code Eric at BowlingBranch.com. Exclusions apply. See site for details. That's Bowling Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. The promo code is Eric, E-R-I-C-K. Hi there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, if you want to be on the show, 877-973-7425. Happy to have you. 
Uh, CPAC is happening. Very interesting uh, what's going on at CPAC this year. The Conservative Political Action Conference, uh, which is not as conservative as it is so much whatever Donald Trump thinks these days. I've always had a love-hate relationship with CPAC. I've always loved to hate it. I used to go all the time until I didn't have to anymore because my former employer had been a long-time sponsor of it, but it it itself is no longer sponsoring. Uh, There is scandal involved, of course, with the head of of the American Conservative Union, which operates CPAC, Matt Schlapp, accused by a young man of, um, well, pummeling his groin area, I believe is the phrase the kid used or something of the such in a uh, sexual, um, same-sex sexual situation that was inappropriate, and now there's a lawsuit. Uh, the, the, the real problem here is that CPAC used to be the place where conservatives of all stripes could go and get engaging conversation. And now it's essentially the, where you go if you're part of Donald Trump's cult of personality and no one else is welcome. So Ron DeSantis has said he will not be going. We have invited DeSantis to the gathering in August. Uh, Mike Pence has said he will not be going. We have invited Mike Pence to our gathering in August. Nikki Haley is going to go. I'm not sure what sort of reception she will get. We've invited Nikki Haley to our gathering. Uh, and Donald Trump, I think, will go to CPAC. We have not invited Donald Trump to the gathering. Uh, we're about the future, not the past. Um, it will be interesting to see what shakes out at CPAC this year, and I doubt much will. And again, you know, I I I remember going the very first time I went. It was in the the Reagan Building in D.C., and it, it it was it was kind of wild. It was the height of blogging. It was a big deal, uh, and you got to meet a lot of people. And it was kind of like a conservative homecoming. And over the years, something's just happened with CPAC, and it's not the same. It's it's a little fringier. The, the ideas of the conservative movement don't get talked about so much as discarded in favor of the brashness and the how can we own the left insults, and there's not a level of seriousness there. And now, of course, there's scandal, and and there's so much of uh, the Trump influence that it, it really is kind of a campaign gathering of supporters of Donald Trump, and other people within the conservative movement are no longer welcome, which is something that was uh, different from the past. When George Bush was president, uh, you had all sides of the conservative movement, the the Bushies and the non, on stage debating each other, and you just don't even get that anymore, which is kind of unfortunate. It's one of the reasons, actually, I, I wanted the gathering not not to be the next CPAC, um, but to do something different where you actually had intelligent conversations with people on stage, and the politicians couldn't just come give a speech. They had to sit there with me and answer your questions, and in August, we will do that again uh, we'll do it in Atlanta, August 17th through the 20th. Um, excited to have everybody there. We've invited Ron DeSantis and Mike Pence and Nikki Haley and Vivek Ramaswamy. We'll get an invite and Mike Pompeo as well. And Tim Scott is coming and Brian Kemp and Bill Lee, the governor of Tennessee, has been invited and Chip Roy from Texas and Jim Banks from Indiana, Tom Cotton from Arkansas and a lot more. Should be some great conversations coming up in August. When we come back, the path to 2024 does kind of run through my conference in Atlanta. Hi there. It is Eric Erickson here. Glad to have you with me. All righty. Let's talk about this road to the White House. I was telling Charlie and Philip uh, before the show began that I, I feel like I've gotten into this uh, too much of a habit of saying this hour is going to be X 
the second hour is going to be Road to the White House. Third hour will be Z. And I, I wanted to shake things up, and I wanted to wait until the end, exercise some self-control, but it is kind of important to talk about uh, where we are headed, and there are a number of pieces. Uh, first of all, let me say this. In August, in Atlanta, Georgia, the 17th through the 20th, uh, we will have a gathering. For those of you unfamiliar with my gathering, every year I invite uh, leading uh, voices on the right, particularly politicians, to sit on stage with me in 30-minute conversations and answer your questions. And uh, we provide an opportunity for people to submit their questions in advance, and I weave them into the conversation. Uh, because it is more, I think we learn more if we have a conversation and they don't just give a speech and filibuster. I want them answering actual questions to talk about the future of the GOP. And we've invited the major presidential candidates uh, for the GOP. It will come a week before the first presidential debate for the GOP. And we've also invited some of the leading thinkers on the right in Congress, whether it's Chip Roy or Jim Banks or Tom Cotton, and and more on that front. Uh, I want to reach out to J.D. Vance's office as well, try to get him there, and others too, uh, to, to talk about the issues that they care about and the issues you care about. One of those that is shaping up uh, is the question of what happens to DeSantis. He has been meeting with donors in Florida. There have been a series of reports out now that he has been wooing people behind the scenes. He set up an organization had a uh, did it in Palm Beach, which was kind of brazen, about four miles from Mar-a-Lago. He's got a book out uh, called The Courage to Be Free, or at least it is coming out. These are the hallmarks of a campaign that's about to be launched. This is from Jonathan Allen in NBC. Uh, DeSantis recently launched a tax-exempt organization that sponsored his speaking engagements to police groups in New York and the Philadelphia and Chicago suburbs last week. He hosted a retreat for top donors from across the country at the Four Seasons in Palm Beach this weekend, and he sold out venues for a national book tour that begins Tuesday. In one mid-sized city, DeSantis' political team has set a goal of raising a million dollars for a spring event that is still in the planning stages, an aggressive sum, particularly given the size of the city, according to a person with knowledge of the plans. We can leave NBC News. I should note that uh, Andrea Mitchell at NBC News accused DeSantis of saying that you could not talk about race in Florida schools or slavery or things like that, which is a flat-out a lie. And the DeSantis team has largely said, we want nothing to do with NBC News. And they've really cut off uh, dealing with NBC News. They're willing to play hardball on this, as they should, by the way. NBC News, by virtue of being a news organization, does not get the right to interview someone. NBC News, though, uh, is tied to MSNBC. And it willfully has been aggressively anti-Republican. Having NBC News on the campaign trail asking you questions is pretty much having the Democratic National Committee on the campaign trail asking you questions. They're they're just the oppo wing of the DNC at this point. There's no reason to treat NBC News seriously. 
and the DeSantis team realizes that. Uh, good for them. But it appears that DeSantis is building out the slow roll of a presidential organization. Here's what he's doing. You know, there, there was the story the other day we talked about last week, Hugo Gordon in the Washington Examiner, saying DeSantis needs to get out now. He needs to announce now that every day he waits is a day for Trump to try to define him, and, and he's not responding, and he needs to. That's not really true. Uh, increasingly, I get the the view of things behind the scenes that y'all don't see, that a lot of the people out there who are waiting for DeSantis, they don't care what Donald Trump does. They know Trump can't contain himself. They know Trump can't focus. Donald Trump had the opportunity to go to East Palestine, Ohio, and campaign on that, and instead he used it as an event to attack Ron DeSantis and then got off the campaign trail and and went off on some wild hair again. He doesn't have self-control or discipline. You can't teach that old dog new tricks. You might as well ignore him, and a lot of these donors are just ignoring him. They're waiting to see what DeSantis does, and he does not need to rush it because he continues to do the things that signal He has a book coming out. That's what you do these days when you want to run for president. You release a book that no one reads and everyone pretends to have read. You set up a nonprofit and you start doing the speaking circuit in key strategic areas. He's done that. You start meeting with donors and you let it leak that you have met with donors. He's done that. He's running for president. He's skipping CPAC. I saw the Lincoln Project guy say maybe he's really not running if he's skipping CPAC. No, no. He, he doesn't need to fight over CPAC with Donald Trump. He doesn't need to get into the fray. CPAC is now a arm of the Trump campaign, or so it is perceived by so many on the right. There's no reason for him or Mike Pence to go to it. Meanwhile, there's the other angle of the campaign. This is from the Associated Press a football legend who held a gun to his ex-wife's head. Hmm, wonder who that could be. Rivals who nearly brawled during a televised debate. A venture capitalist who voiced sympathy for the Unabomber. And that's just to name a few. Republican Senate primaries in several pivotal states last year exuded a carnival-like aura dominated by far-right candidates whose ill-advised remarks and damaging personal baggage ultimately cost the party its chance of retaking the majority. But even as alarms sounded over a growing crisis of electability, party leaders mostly stood by, including Florida Senator Rick Scott, the Senate GOP's campaign chief, who insisted on remaining neutral. Now, at the dawn of the 2024 campaign season, Republicans say they're taking steps to avoid a repeat. The National Republican Senatorial Committee, which Scott formerly led, intends to wade into party primaries in key states, providing resources to its preferred candidates in a bid to produce nominees who are more palatable to the general election voters. It may be easier said than done. Similar efforts have backfired in recent years with the party's restrictive base, restive base, rejecting the attempts. We'll see now if they want to win. They look like they want to resurrect Dave McCormick in Pennsylvania, which they should do to try to beat um, uh, Bob Casey. The GOP has decided it is going to engage in Senate primaries. It's probably, though it has made promises to stay out of House primaries on the NRCC side, probably going to wade in uh, behind the scenes in some of those races as well. 
The GOP wants to win in 2024, and it fights a couple of forces. One force is the force of people who believe that it's going to be stolen, it was stolen, there's nothing we can do in the future. And those people probably going to sit it out, probably should sit it out, actually. They've clearly been broken in some way. Um, they, they need to show us where the election touched them in some bad way. Uh, they're convinced that it was all stolen. It's going to be stolen. It will never be redeemed again. Um, and there's nothing you can do with those people. There are some, though, who have decided that uh, the way forward for the GOP is to fight, 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 fight. And the people that these people continue to pick are the people who keep losing in the general election. The reality is that you and I are probably to the right of the Republican nominee who's going to win in a place like Pennsylvania. Your candidate and mine can probably win in a Texas or a Florida or a South Carolina. Can our sort of candidate win, though, in a place like Pennsylvania or Wisconsin or even Arizona or Nevada? No guarantee that they can. You have to find a candidate who resonates with the general election voter, not just the Republican primary voter. And the general election voter tends to be a more have more of an independent streak and more of a moderate streak than the average Republican primary voter. Republican primary voters used to understand this. The problem, however, is that Republican establishment leaders for so long took advantage of the Republican Party base by lying to them in primaries offering them all sorts of things they had no intention of delivering and then scoffing at them when they were told to be accountable to the voters that the Republican Party base got pissed off, picked somebody like Donald Trump to be the bull in the China shop and has forever been burning down the GOP since. And honestly, can you blame them? Can you really blame the Republican primary voters who for years were told by Republican leaders, if you give us what we want, we'll get rid of Obamacare? And they did, and the GOP refused to get rid of Obamacare. Can you blame them for being hacked off? Can you blame them for being mad at Republicans who promise to keep boys out of girls' bathrooms, and then when they get in power, some of those very Republicans who promise it say, well, maybe they really are girls now. Don't make promises you have no intention of keeping or your voters will burn you down. That's what's been going on in the GOP. I disagree to the extent, but I understand it. What I don't understand are some of the celebrity candidate things. I mean, like, at this point, it should be clear to you, Donald Trump is really bad at picking people you should vote for. Mehmet Oz, Herschel Walker, Blake Masters. Uh, he, he doesn't do a very good job in places where it matters. Oh, but Mr. Erickson, he, he got like 500 people and they all got elected. Yes, but when you're running unopposed, it doesn't matter. And when you're running in a place where it's R plus a billion, it doesn't matter. They're going to get elected. But in swing states like Pennsylvania and in Arizona and in Georgia, the candidates went down in flames. So maybe don't listen to him next time. And then, of course, the Democrats tried to portray particular candidates as super Trumpy to encourage Republican voters to vote for him, and Republicans bit. And those candidates went down in flames as well. The GOP used to be smart at this stuff, and I, I'm not sure why it got dumb. But it's got to get smart again if it wants to win. It's got to give license to candidates to not be as hardcore as the base on some issues while figuring out what are the bright lines. What are the bright lines? You know, life used to be the bright line. You could, you could be wishy-washy on a number of issues, but as long as you were pro-life, you could be okay. 
Now you got to be strident on a bunch of issues, some of which alienate independent voters in the general election. And sometimes it's worth it. Look, I don't want to vote for a pro-abortion Republican, and I just will not vote for a massive, we need new government entitlement programs, Republican, unless that entitlement is school choice. We need to find people who are willing to gut Washington and return power to the states. And so many of the Republicans used to claim that and then never did. That's why I'm kind of intrigued by this DeSantis book. You know he's written a book before. DeSantis wrote a book uh, when he was running for Congress, contrasting his vision for America with Barack Obama's at the time. It was a little red book. A lot of people didn't notice it, but it was all about uh, returning to the vision of the Founding Fathers, uh, making Washington do a whole lot less, uh, giving power back to the states and the people to decide for themselves their lives. I kind of like that vision, and I'm intrigued to see what he says in the new book, uh, whether or not it will be of the same vein. I suspect that it will be in the same vein. I'm also interested to see how these Republican candidates do thread the needle. I mean, aren't you? It's very fascinating already with with the Ukraine stuff. Nikki Haley and and Mike Pence very stridently. We must do everything we can to support him. Ron DeSantis saying he wants to help but not give a blank check. Uh, I'm I'm kind of like I think DeSantis and them. They're kind of probably all on the same page, but they're trying to distinguish each other. That that's very hard when you've got a bunch of candidates who largely do agree on the big issues. What do you say to sound different? And they're going to have to figure that one out. Perhaps they can. Perhaps we'll figure it out. I just think. At the bottom line, we have a lot of really good candidates on our side, and we probably do need to just ignore the people who are screaming about stolen elections at this point. They're not helping us. They're hurting us. And we got a chance to beat Joe Biden, the Democrats, in 2024. Uh, Recession is coming. Biden will be blamed for that, as he should be, because it will be his policies. We just need a Republican to offer some hope for the future, so some cheery optimism, some Reagan-like optimism for America. So many conservatives are down on America right now. So many people don't want to live with the other side. On the left and the right, they all hate each other. I just want somebody who loves my country to run for office. I want that person to paint a vision of an America where we can all live and let live. And the people who hate me and me who may not like other people, don't really hate them, just may not care for them that we can recognize all of us living together in our own communities of interest can still elevate an America greater than any other country in the nation in the world. And we're just not getting a lot of optimism right now. And I would really love to go back to having optimistic candidates who also recognize democratic policies will destroy the country. That would be a good thing. We'll get the one Democrats will destroy the country, but will we get the optimism? It's what it sounds like. We may be about to get from this new book from DeSantis. It's what we get from Nikki Haley. It's what we get from Mike Pence is what we'll get from Tim Scott. So I think we're headed in the right direction. And I want to direct you now to Patriot mobile, PatriotMobile.com. It is a cell service, a cell phone service. And what sets them apart is they contribute to the conservative movement. So Patriot mobile is a company where if you take your cell phone business to them, they take a portion of the profits you help them generate and fund the pro-life movement, the Second Amendment movement, and other conservative causes. And all you have to do is go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric, patriotmobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. You can also call them 972-PATRIOT, 972-PATRIOT. You tell them I sent you, you get free activation, and they give you great discounts. If you're a veteran, a first responder, an NRA member, a teacher, got a lot of lines in your house because the number of kids you have, you can get discounts from Patriot Mobile. And then they take a portion of their profits, give it to the conservative movement. Now, listen, 
you, they give you guaranteed great service, and your cell company is probably already using the same cell towers that Patriot Mobile uses. So just reach out to them. You can take your existing number to them. PatriotMobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. Might as well do business with a company that shares your values and gives you guaranteed great service. PatriotMobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K or 972-PATRIOT. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is irrelevant because we're almost out of time. So I, I want to address something uh, here at the end of the program. We have received a lot of email inquiries in the last several days about a story out of Arizona that uh, Governor Katie Hobbs may have taken money from the Sinola drug cartel from Mexico and that reports have surfaced. And I will tell you, I Googled because I had not heard about it. And there are some websites out there running stories on it. Um, Many of the websites that are advancing it are kind of fringy websites, no mainstream websites. And maybe there's a there there and I'll dig into it. But I'm, I'm a little bit hesitant to trust some of the sites where it's coming from because they have a history of not being true. However... You know, given the age of COVID where so many conspiracy theories have turned out to be true, what the hell, we might as well dig into it and see what's there. I, I will look into it. Uh, just we started getting them over the weekend. It was very, very interesting that a lot of people very insistent. Um, it, it also is is possible from uh, the one like mainstream source that she might have gotten some campaign donations from people uh, who were connected, and uh, but she didn't know. I, I, I don't know. I'm just intrigued that uh, how many people uh, get information off some of these these websites and should know better, and, and they make me hesitant. Uh, but uh, given the, the high volume of emails, clearly this is something buzzing out there that had been under the radar that I didn't see and I will check into. Uh, it's always kind of fascinating, honestly, just, just objectively. Uh, side point here that uh, how some people, um, they, they, where they get their news from, and how it circulates on Facebook and social media among their channels of friends. And it can fly under the radar for everyone else until someone pops up their head in a larger audience and, and, and raises it. And that's very much like this story about Katie Hobbs that is uh, among a number of right-wing websites circulating the story about her ties to a drug cartel or getting money from the drug cartel, knowingly or not. Um, it, but just be careful what you read on the Internet. I will look into it, though.